You are listening to Changing the Game with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with Suzanne Waldron, good friend. Suzanne is a behavioral change facilitator. She's a very active ambassador of REOK, Nakuru Hope, and leads the TEDx Perth team. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Wilson. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm, uh, today I wake up uh, in, in a better mood than the previous day, so I'm, I'm very happy today. Oh, that's progress. <laughs> So then, what about if we start with uh, you uh, just telling a little bit about yourself? Ooh, open book straight away. I love it. Um, well, I'm fascinated um, with humans. I get obsessed, actually, I think, um, and devoted to how humanity exists within um, this, this realm and also within the system that we live in. So um, I'm... I think a lot and I feel a lot around anything to do with how we can be in the best circumstance possible um, as a human race and where we fit within the bigger ecosystem of the universe and the world. So I get obsessed with that. I'm English originally, might be obvious. I live in Perth, Western Australia, most beautiful city in the world. And, um, and sometimes, um, it's not always glorious in my life, you know, the reality of emotions and feelings and things that overwhelm us. So, you know, I don't want to always paint this perfect picture of I love thinking about the world and I'm philosophical. You know, I'm a deeply emotional person, feel very worried about certain things that are happening in the world. I'm sure we're going to get to talk about that. Um, but that's probably enough about me for a moment. Okay. Uh, it's interesting uh, when, when you... When you talk about how you like the the human the human factors the human interaction so funny enough i had a very strong technical background i come from one of those you know careers in stem and uh, it wasn't uh, late in my career it was actually very early that i have a significant experience where i noticed that you know it's exactly the same technologies but with different human setting uh, completely change, you know, the outcomes, it change everything. So I, I also became fascinated, uh, you know, for the human beings and, and for the human factors in everything we do. So we're here to talk about uh, changing the game. So uh, in your story, would you be able to tell us, uh, you know, growing up, if you, if you have a clue of what are you going to do or, or what, and at the end of the day, what changed the game for you? Yeah, I think the game's always changing. And so we've got to know what, first of all, though, what is the game? <laughs> and what are we changing? So, the, the, you know, the philosophical mind that I have is just like, so we've got to define what the game is. 
And um, so I'm going to answer your question for sure in certain parts. I also need to tell you that my cat is here and she really wants to go outside and chase the birds, which she's not allowed to do. So she might meow a little bit whilst we're on this. So I hope you're all okay with that. Um, but let's think about what the game is. And um, there's a part of me that thinks that life is such a game. Like we've got this beautiful ecosystem and universe that is expressing itself. And we're just, you know, we have the gift of being a part of that. And, and sometimes then I think, God, everything is just a game and it's beautiful and don't take it so seriously and we've got this gift. And then I sometimes take it really seriously and I do think it's a game that we've got to try and play well. Um, and so from my perspective, um, it's like holding both of these positions really tightly and lightly at the same time. And so not to take, um, take it for granted, but we've got to also make sure that we that we play well. So you asked me about growing up and did I know what I wanted to do and what, what was I going to change and all those sorts of things. No, I, I had a really traumatic start to, the, to life in the first 17 years of my life. Um, I was homeless as a child. I was in foster care. Um, and so it's one of those questions, actually, that people ask me, you know, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? And like, as I've gotten older, my answer is I wanted to be safe. Um, I didn't have a perspective of I wanted to work in this field or do these things or dream into this life. Um, I was very much in the present and it was very much about my safety. So it's, it's not an easy answer for me um, hmm. that to, to give because it's not necessarily one of um, hope and possibility and dreaming. So it's interesting because I'm hearing you and uh you talk about you know what is the game for you and 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 the things that we take for granted and i'm hearing to what you're saying and it actually strikes me uh the position of privilege that i come from sometimes it's very easy to think of not being that position of privilege but at the end of the day oh wow i i, I do come from that position of privilege oh, I think the change in the game, uh, when, when I talk about the game, it has to do with that, has to do with the fact that uh, there is a, a, you know, a, a play level you know, game going on. And, but it's not, the, it's, it, the access is not for everyone. It's not a simple for, for, you know, for everyone to be part of that game. So it is one of the things that I'm very interested in exploring this. So you, you, you share with us that you had a tough you know, beginning, a tough 17 years old, uh, a tough 17 years. So what, what do you think changed? Because I think uh, you, and I know you for a few years, I consider you a friend. And I see so much love and positivity and to a very good extent, success. And what did change for you? Hmm. It's really funny because I'm bristling up against, I'm bristling up against it because I have a, I'm brainstorming out loud also here. So I'm, I'm very in the moment with you and, and I'm thinking, why has anything changed? This is just the external idealization of roles that I play or um, feelings that I feel or relationships that I have. And 
there's a constancy across all of it, which is me. I'm the constant. So mm. my own self doesn't change. The deepness of who I am doesn't change. How I interrelate, how my intellect develops, all those sorts of things. But pure love doesn't change. Right. So there's a constancy in that. But I understand mm. this question being that I had a tough upbringing. Now I'm in as you know what we might consider um, a wealthy, um, happy, and um, outwardly successful life and I have a deep level of of um, certainty about who I am so I get I get what you're saying um, and I think it's a question that I get asked a lot you know what was there a moment where something changed no there wasn't a moment where something changed it's an incremental experience as life moves on and we get this opportunity to take in new information and develop ourselves. A lot of the factors in my ability to be in this position as I am now actually came a lot from the kindness of strangers. Mm. And so people would see something or believe something in me that I didn't yet know about myself. And over a period of time, I started to believe them. And so I think one of the major factors of change for me is that other people were able to, to see something and, and believe in something that I couldn't yet access for myself until I could. Oh, that's a fantastic perspective. So the role of those other people around you in actually helping you to grow that self-confidence, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I do know that you, you're very interested in uh, equity and, and, and opportunities for, for everyone. Uh, so if someone is uh, struggling or, 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 or not having that, well, I'll, I'll change the question. So because you mentioned about the roles that other people had on you. So what do you think we can do for those people that today don't have access? Yeah. Um, first of all, we've got to realize we want to understand what access is and what, where it doesn't apply. And so, for example, um, as a white person who's well-educated, I'm talking about myself, white person who's well-educated, um, all of my body works well, my brain works well, I have access to education and school and hospitals and police and water um, and a house. And if I don't have access to some of those things, I can problem solve my way into working that out. Um, and so my access to education and healthcare, my access to being able to do a yoga class or to have a day off, you know, like is, is so prevalent. And then there's all sorts of sliding scale realities of where access isn't available. And a stark contrast to that, for example, was when I was in an orphanage in Islam in Africa, where people do not have even access to clean water. Mm. Um, and people would say, I'd be putting photos, for example, on Facebook. Um, and they asked me to do that. I didn't want to, but they, they said, we need you to. We need you to show everybody what it's like here. I felt really uncomfortable about it because it felt like I was walking into someone's life and taking photos of them in shock horror and then making a spectacle of that. And I, I, I didn't like it, but they really wanted me to do it. And so mm. I was looking there and people were saying, well, why don't they plant seeds? Why don't they do this? Why don't do they do that? And I'm standing in this perspective going 
if they had seeds to start with, there's no soil to put them in. And if they had soil, there's no water to actually water the seeds. Um, and so our version of what we've got access to is so ingrained and entrenched in us that we can't even necessarily understand that sometimes for some people, they, can't, they haven't even got a starting point. There's anywhere near somewhere. So people go, oh, you can just think your way out of it. You'll just change your mindset and you'll be able to. The people that I met there were frigging beautifully hopeful and resourceful. Yeah. But technically and practically, they were stuffed. Totally. Like, they can't get out of that without someone else helping them. It's not yeah. possible. They can sit within the container of that and be beautifully connected to God and be beautifully connected to one another and feel that everything that they've got within that realm. But there's not even a beginning point of access for them. So I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting what you, in what you're saying. Somehow, I, I think I, I, I felt a little bit of what you're referring to um, in these recent events of COVID. Uh, when we look at the situations that we have here in Australia and look at the situation we have, for instance, in Brazil, where I was born. And uh, I, I think what you're saying that I can relate to is that sort of those... Uh, that foundation of what you do and that sort of uh, the really basic levels of how you problem solve your way out of something. And the reference models are completely different. I don't think we could, you know, we, why are we very fortunate here in Australia? It's very hard to think about applying that model elsewhere because that model to work here has so many underlying you know, cultural traits and, 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 and ways of life. That's just uh, impossible to, to, to see that happening in, in certain other places. Well, that's, that's very nice. Very, very good reflection on that. If I may so add, it, if you don't, can I add a local example as well? Because it can feel unreachable when it's a very extreme example in another country. Yep. I'm hoping it will be helpful. But even to look at... Um, our indigenous um, situation in the sense that people don't have access. And I know it's a really contentious issue and I personally online have been um, attacked a few times for my opinions here. Um, mm. But from an indigenous perspective, if we look at people um, on country in the north um, of Western Australia, it takes them 400 kilometers to drive um, to get food and to get nappies for their children. Um, and, and, that's, and that's one way. So 400 kilometers one way, 400 kilometers another way back. Um, and they're wanting to live a beautiful traditional life that's also integrated in um, the culture that the Western people have brought into our perspective of all of Australia. Um, and so, the problem there is that they don't have access to anything local to them. Um, and, and that's if they've even got a car to be able to drive back and forth. So they're living in a perspective where jobs aren't readily available to them. If they are, they're at a level of which they might not necessarily be able to um, or want to in conduct themselves. Then they have to drive a million miles to get anywhere to do anything, um, if they're lucky to be able to even afford the petrol to do that. And so the system in which we're living for certain people in our own country do not provide access um, for certain basic needs, let alone anything above basic needs. No, yeah, it does make sense. It's a very good local example, I guess. So uh, 
he, he's like you mentioned before. So this conversation just you know is just overwhelming with the thoughts. Uh, is education something that can help with that? I do know you you you, you touch a, a a contentious sort of subject when we talk about the Australian Aboriginals, and there has been lots of initiatives out there, but it doesn't you know it's not a visible a, a real impact you know happening. So I, I'm a very big believer in education as 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 that sort of uh, power that can help to to make this change. So do you have opinion on that? Yeah, and I can. To a, I've got an opinion on everything, probably. But um, so let's let's conflate education and access together in terms of you know. So you can be educated and still not have access to something. And so if the system and the government or the governance, sorry, the governance of a system does not. So you can be super bright and super able, but if you practically cannot move from one location to another or you don't have a phone to be able to interact or you don't have the internet to put to the phone to interact education is really important but access is also very much about the practical nature of what's available for you to move and live your life um, and also we're talking about um, cultural access as well so how people view you so even if you were to be educated and move into the big city and do things and all things happening then you've got judgment of other people about how they treat you I mean, just look at different places um, and different religions or different cultural um, experiences for example people who women who are in the Muslim faith who wear head coverings how they might be treated differently and um, because someone has a, a view about whether they should or shouldn't dress like that so education is 100% beautiful, needed, and it does give us internal resources. But there also is a perspective of how the system and how our culture allows access to people who are even educated. So I think I'm starting to get some of, uh, uh, some of what you mean by access. So I'm, I'm, I'm all... I'll be very honest here, and I'm still digesting that and trying to understand a little bit better. So I think from what I'm hearing, part of that access that you refer to, uh, when we look at the system and the system, you know, you have all of us, the society, you know, all organizations, includes government and etc. So I reckon that when we talk about the system and we talk about the role of the government in the system, so you have the policies uh, that are built to facilitate some of that. I, 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 I'm, I'm probably getting from you that part of the of what you're saying is that uh, government policies can help with that access. It can. So, uh, what would you say in terms of uh, maybe a first step or a small thing on that on that? government policy sort of setting that can help to change the game for these people? I think it's it's genuinely um, acknowledgement that access doesn't actually exist for many different people for different reasons if you're not white and privileged. Um, so I'm going to bring it up a level here. It's like even understanding that in the first place. And so um, policy is important, but I think there's a step before it, and that's acknowledgement. So if we've got people in decision-making powers that don't believe that there's a problem with access, then policy doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And you could put a policy in that 
it's just a piece of paper and a, a rule structure that doesn't actually mean that people can actually move around and get access. It's about our belief systems around other humans. And it's about how we see difference and how we understand what difference is. Um, and so I, I think there's a, there's a starting point of believing that that's the case and understanding it. Yep. So uh, I think your point might me think about, make, make, made me think about, uh, I think one of the ways that we can get to that sort of acknowledgement uh, would be related to inclusion and diversity. Uh, because, you know, we would assume that having those different uh, backgrounds and, and, and ideas and, and perspectives in the same table, uh, maybe may the, the, the ignition that we need to, 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 to start with the acknowledgement and, and, and then potentially create solutions that include policies and other things uh, that, that we will eventually acknowledge and work for the for everyone work for the the, the axis as you refer yeah. is that i'm getting that somehow yeah. right yeah it, it really does need to start with our own personal understanding of what is not available to others um, because it, for a lot of people, it's entrenched. Like we are 100% um, able to get access to things. And because it's a given, it's like breathing air. We don't have to think about breathing air. Um, for a lot of us, we just have access and we don't even realise it. And so understanding as a first point that others don't and why that comes across when it comes to race, when it comes to prejudice, when it comes to um, power imbalances and um, cultural indifferences that make us feel like we uh, might be confronted um, about difference in such a way that we just can't understand it. We don't want to work, but we don't want to be like that. So we're going to just and that we've worked over this lifetime of ours as we as we stand now in a predominantly white perspective. Um, and privileged perspective and so and I, we all have our own biases I mean the other day someone said to me my boss and I immediately thought it was a guy I mm. it's in us all the time that we have our own biases and I was like why god because it's most likely to be a guy so then we start talking about access for women women who have do not necessarily have access to senior leadership roles for example um, or limited access to that because we have a view that is what's gone before us has been predominantly white males in decision-making and power-making authorities. So it's hard for a woman to see herself in that position. It's not impossible, but it's not as likely because the majority of what's happened before has not been that way. And so then you've got access for gender. Then you've got, you know, it just, it continues. So the way we view it, we, I, two years ago, I couldn't have spoken like this. I wouldn't have, I can't even believe I'm speaking like this now. I and I'm still learning and I don't fully understand everything yet. But the dad probably will be. But once we start to open our eyes, you can't not, not see that other people don't have. And this is not, and let's just quickly talk about equality because equality means everyone gets the same. Mm -hmm. Equity means we get what's fair for us. So you need something different to what I need. And so equity is more prevalent for me because it's about every, there are differences in, in nature, you know, fire wipes things out and floods, you know, drown things. And there's, there's a life and death and life and death cycle. But essentially, you know, we, we, people need to have a fundamental equity that allows them to have access to, to, to life and to live life in a way that's good for them. Like I, I, I like I like the way you position equity and equality. So 
uh, some of the reflections that I have on my own in terms of uh, you know uh, uh, the, the difference around and our effort to 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 provide equality actually. So you always come back to uh, you know that sort of those sort of thoughts that are aren't we going a bit too far in not recognizing that we're not equal? That's exactly what you said. So uh, we, we're just not equal. Our needs are not the same. And, and, and gender diversity is just one aspect of it. So you're going to you know, think about the other uh, differences uh, uh, between people. You're going to go there. So uh, I'll have potentially one last question for, for us to go and, and, and have a chat about. So you, uh, you talk about equality, talk about equity, and you, you particularly mentioned about the uh, gender. What do you think, because in, 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 in trying to help, one of the mechanisms that we have these days in the industry is trying to get that sort of 50-50 uh, balance between men and women in the industry and sometimes it looks a little bit forced mm. so uh, what what do you think about that i think that path to the 50 50 percent balance is a fair one yeah thank you it's a lovely question um the 50 50 bit doesn't mean anything to me it could be 60 40 so it doesn't matter but i if you want to talk about quotas then I think quotas are important at this point because um, sometimes you have to, it's like, you know, going to the gym, you have to lift the weights and you can't just think about lifting the weights. Well, you can, but you won't go stronger. And so sometimes we have to put measurements in place. Like if I lift the weight three times, it's going to make a difference. And so putting a quantity on something or putting a, a standpoint on something will ultimately move the progress and so I believe we need to do quotas until we don't need to do them anymore um, and sometimes it's something that people value measurement and people value that they need to do it um, and it cracks open opportunity um, that bypasses bias and then okay. suddenly might be in a 50-50 or 60-40, whatever, and go, actually, yeah, I can see why we need difference. But if you leave them to it without the quota, they probably might not get there. And sometimes experiencing something is a way to change the belief. If you can't make people understand what they need to do, they won't do it without a measurement, then I, I think quotas are important yeah, for now. Until it's I, like, I, I, like, uh, I like your analogy with the, the gym and the weight. So it, it, there is a, a period we have to go through, isn't it? Uh, until it's not required anymore, quarters, uh, the idea of quarters seems reasonable, I guess. I, I, I am also of that opinion. So, uh, Suzanne, uh, I think we could stay here for another hour and, and, and you know, just exploring those ideas and, and, and these subjects. I think both of us are very uh, comfortable with this sort of... Uh, uh, uncomfortable conversation. So I, I, I love the talk. Uh, is a, you know, I would love to have more time. So probably uh, I'll have a coffee with you. So uh, there are maybe two things that I that I'm uh, that I will take away from this conversation because uh, it's very unique about what you're talking about. Uh, one is access and having that reflection of. Uh, 
uh, you know, you, you can bring knowledge, you can create opportunities, but with the assumption that everybody has the same access, probably not going to help because it's just not there. Uh, and your in your comparison between equality and equity as well. So yeah, you, you made the use of the word fair. Is it fair equity of things? So it also helps a lot with the reflection of, you know, the ways we we need to go to change things to change the game. So I thank you very much for this talk. I enjoy hips. My pleasure. And thank you for asking the questions and making it available because you're doing exactly what you asked about. You know, we're, we, you're providing the opportunity to open up the forum of conversation. So I think it's really important. And, and thank you for making that happen. And I just want to point out that if anyone wants to look a little bit more into this, the Museum of Freedom and Tolerance is a really beautiful place to go on Facebook or onto their website. Um, and it's all about this. And you, I learned so much from them. So I think um, if anyone wants to look up some resources, the Museum of Freedom and Tolerance um, is a brilliant place to look. Thank you very much, Suzanne and have a lovely day. Thank you, Wilson.